How you get so much favor on your side? Accept the measure, Lord and Savior, I replied. That's your love, that neighbor, not the Thanks for listening to one of the audio messages from Cornerstone Church Airdrie. My name is Brad, and I'm the lead campus pastor and primary preaching voice here at Cornerstone Church Airdrie. We believe that the God who spoke so clearly all through the pages of Scripture is still speaking to His kids today. So if it's me who's speaking to you or someone else on this recording, as you listen, we pray that you would know God, know His hope, know His purpose, and know His power. Enjoy the message. Before the ranch, I had horses in the garage. When the Forbes cover was just a mirage. They had me chase This week, ultimately, we are going to end up in 2 Timothy chapter 2. But before that, we'll be in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And before that, 1 Corinthians. So sort of working our way backwards through the books in the New Testament. But if you'd like to go somewhere, ultimately, 2 Timothy chapter 2 is probably the best place to go. That's where we're, we'll sort of be ending up and drawing things to a close. This is the last week that we're going to be looking at the attributes of God. We've looked at seven different attributes of God up until this point. We began by talking about, at the very beginning of this, we, we had to lay the foundation of the idea that God isn't like us. That, that as we talk about these characteristics and as we talk about what God's attributes are, what we needed to understand was from the basic we need to begin with the basic premise that, that we're not just talking about this in human terms, but that God exists in a whole other way and in a whole other understanding. And that, that when we talk about God, we're not just talking about a superhuman or, or a better version of you and I, but that it's something totally different. And then from there, we've looked at six different things that, that God is. We've talked about how God is good and God is sovereign. God is holy. God is wise. God is just and God is love. Now, there's so much more than this that, that we could unpack about who God is. We could talk for forever about who and what God is. We could take time and dwell on and see the effect on our lives, that the truth that comes from the fact that God is all-powerful, that there's never anything that happens that God cannot overcome or anything that can thwart God because it's more powerful than him. Or we could talk about how God can be trusted because he's eternal. He's not affected by space or by time. He sees the end of the thing from a beginning and the beginning of that thing from the end. Or we can, we can see that how God could come through for us because he's omnipresent. Nothing ever happens in our lives, in our hearts, or in our souls that is outside of his influence and power. We could unpack who God is. We, we sang this morning about how God is our way maker, our promise keeper, our light in the darkness. That, that he's all of these things. There might be one more in there. I, don't, I can't remember. But, but we, we, all of these things of who God is to us. But one of the things that can happen when, when we look at a sermon series like this, when we look at a, a topic like this, and we, we sort of do like one, then two, then three, is we can begin or, or we can fall into seeing these things as like separate and distinct characteristics that, that God is just and God is love and God is wise. But the truth is that these things aren't just separate individual characteristics of God, but that each one actually works together. They each work together in unity, simultaneously, in harmony with one another. And, and this week, we're going to look at the last attribute for this time. And, and for me, this, this 
attribute is the one that sort of takes all of the things that we've talked about, all of the, 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 the qualities and the characteristics of God, and it, and it brings them all together and places them in your life and in my life and allows them to be applicable to you and to me in our stories and in our lives today, tomorrow, and forever. What we're going to talk about today is, is the idea that God never changes. He's consistent. God never has a bad day or, or takes days off. You don't come to God and, and he says, not now, I'm busy, maybe another time. I know that I can sometimes be guilty of doing that with my kids when, when they come to me and I've got something going on or something's happening or I've had a bad day and they'll, daddy, daddy, not right now. Daddy just needs, a, just give me a minute, I, not right now. But God never has that response for us. He is always there for us. He's always available, always at work in our lives and in the world 100% of the time. Because today we're going to look at the truth that God is faithful. In fact, when you get to the end of the Bible and you read in Revelation about Jesus coming back as the judge... And at the very end of history, we have this righteous judge on a white horse, and he has a, on a robe. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has two words. And do you know what those words are? Those words are faithful and true. God could have chosen any two words to represent himself. He could have said love and wisdom. He could have said righteousness and justice. He could have said whatever it is that he would like it to say. But he chose these two words because God wanted us to know that even at the end of all things, that we could look at God and we could know that we could count on him because he's faithful. That we could look at God and we can know that we can place our trust in him because he has remained faithful from the beginning to the end. Now, when I say that God is faithful, what I'm saying is that God is dependable, he's trustworthy, he's consistent, he's reliable, he's true to his word, he keeps his promises, and he always comes through. And so what I want to do today is I want to take a look at just a couple of places in our lives where we can really look and see that God really is faithful. A couple of places where, where we, need, we may need God to show his faithfulness and see what the Bible says about those moments in our lives. And so the first place that I want to, to highlight is that God is faithful in our weakness. The Apostle Paul was, was sort of outlining this journey that he had been on with God, this story that he had sort of been walking out with God as it related to a moment of weakness in his life. He, he had some physical ailment that was causing a problem in his life. Some people think that maybe his eyesight was failing him. There's one of the letters that he writes, he talks about how the writing, how, 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 look how big the letters are that I'm having to use so I can see what it is that I'm writing. Some people maybe think that he had malaria, but we don't know for sure. But what Paul will call it is he'll call it a thorn in his flesh. And Paul will say that he, he's asked God about this thing. He's prayed to God about this thing, whatever it was, and that, that God would take it away. And ultimately, God said no. God has said no. Three times, Paul says, that he asked God to take it away. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. And each of the times, the answer was no. But then God sort of gives Paul 
an understanding of what's taking place in his life and, and why he's saying no in the next verses when he says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. God says, God says to Paul, my, I, I'm not going to remove your weakness because what you need to know is that my grace is sufficient for you and that my power is made strong in your weakness. That through your weakness, my power can be on even greater display. Now the next thing, is that Paul continues to take this, this crazy application of weakness and strength and God and all of this stuff. And he says, that is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Something that, that we need to know something that we need to be aware of, something that we need to understand. And it's something that, that can be really difficult in, in our culture because it's not necessarily the message we want to hear. And it's even a message that runs counter to, to I think, what some churches and what some teachers will, will give us. But it's something that's important that we understand in our relationship with God and in our life. And, and that's that we need to know that in our lives... Our testimony will not simply be the testimony of the road of victory. That we're not just going to move through life from one victory to another to another and everything that comes up against it, we will defeat it, we will knock it down, we will never experience loss, we will never experience failure, we will never experience weakness, we will never experience because God has given us the victory. But no, but that's not our testimony. And that's, that's not Paul's testimony is here. And, and I'm sorry if that's something that you've been brought up with or something that you've been taught to believe is that you will only ever experience victory. But when we look at scripture, that's, that's just not what we see. But what we do see is that our testimony will be of st uh, struggling people full of weakness and difficulty but yet in our weakness, our testimony will be of God's faithfulness. In my weakness, I may walk away from my marriage. In my weakness, I may want to disown my kids. In my weakness, I may struggle with addictions. In my weakness, I could struggle with lust. In my weakness, I could struggle with workaholism. In my weakness, I could struggle with my value. In my weakness, I can look for love and acceptance in all of the wrong places. But in the midst of all of these weaknesses, in the midst of everything that is weak about me, we still have a God who is faithful. And instead of running to food or running to alcohol or to drugs or to pornography or, or whatever else we may look to fill the holes in our lives that our weakness is left, instead of running to those things, if we run to God, God says to us, you are welcomed just the way you are in your weakness. In fact, he says, my, this is God, God says that my power, that God's power is made perfect in our weakness. He says to us, I will sustain you. Our weakness can, can bring us often 
to a place of, I can't do this. And a lot of times, it's true. It's not a lie. It's not a lie from the enemy. A lot of times, our weaknesses simply allow the enemy to tell us the truth. You see, one of, one of the things that, that we need to know, again, is, is that the only tactic that the enemy has isn't to just lie. Scripture will, will say that he, he's the father of all lies, but sometimes the greatest weapon that the enemy has is the truth, or at least a version of the truth. Because he does, you see, he doesn't always say to us, you can't do that, when in reality we can. He doesn't always say to us, you, you're a failure, when, when in reality we haven't actually failed. He doesn't always say to us, you, 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 you're this or you're that or you can't do this or you can't do that. When in reality, all the opposite of that is true. It's not always that simple. Sometimes he says to us, you can't, when we know that we actually can't. And it, 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 he says, you, you're a failure. And do you know what? He tells us that in the midst of our failure. And, and so it's not that he's lying to us about what's happened. But in fact, when we fall short, when we fail in the midst of our weakness, and he begins to point these things out and say, you're weak there, you're a failure here, all of that. And we look around and we go, you know what, it's true. But it's not about our weakness. It's not about our failure. It's not about our can't. Our weakness may mean that we can't, but it's not up to us. Maybe you can't. Maybe there are some things in your life that you've been struggling with and that, that you think, oh, I just need victory over. But the reality is you can't do it. But it's not up to us. You may not be able to. I may not be able to. But God can. And that's the part that the enemy leaves out. But God wants to meet us in the midst of our weakness, in the midst of our can't. And God wants to shape us, to change us. And so Paul says, I'm going to boast in my weakness because where I'm weak, God is going to work. What this doesn't mean is it doesn't mean that we celebrate our sin and our weakness. And like, you know what? I am the weakest of all. Oh, let me embrace weakness. Let me embrace all of these things that are wrong. Let me fail. Let me do all of these bad, like wrong things. Because, hey, God's going to overcome it. That's not it. What it is, is that we can rest in the knowledge and the assurance that however weak we may see, we, however weak we may see ourselves, however, however much of failures, that we know that because God is faithful, his promise to us is as weak as we may be, God's strength will be that much more. As deep as our failures may be, God will lift us up that much higher. That, that we look at ourselves and we say, I am a mess. But if God can work through this mess, how powerful must God be? How good must God be? How wise must God be? If he can look at this mess and make something out of it. The second place where we can need to see God's faithfulness in our lives, where, where we need to look and see that God is faithful, is that God is faithful when we are tempted. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. So what this means for us is that the enemy's tricks, the things that the enemy uses to manipulate us, the, the temptations that he throws our way, they're not new. 
They're tried and true for him. And, and what that really probably means is that he hasn't stopped using them or he hasn't felt the need to come up with new ones because the same ones are still so effective. Now, sometimes we can read or quote this verse to one another if we're trying to encourage someone or if we're trying to guilt someone or shame someone as they're going through a season of struggling and a season of dealing with temptation and, and perhaps failing a temptation. We say, well, you know, there's no temptation that has seized you except what is common to people. You know, that, that everything you're going through, everybody else is going through, and you don't see all of us failing the way that you are. That, that sometimes we can quote this verse to one another thinking that, that it, it means that, that somehow if we fall into temptation that, that we're failures. But because these temptations are common to us doesn't mean that somehow that makes them ineffective. They're common because they work. But, but then we're given the, this, the, next, the other side of this temptation where it says, And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Now, I want to take a moment and talk to you about temptation. Imagine for a moment, and I'm not, not singling anybody out, and I'm not saying that God has called you to do this, but maybe he has, but I don't know. But I want to take a moment and just imagine for a second that you felt the Lord's call on your life. The word of the Lord has spoken to you, and God has called you to a season of an extremely strict diet. Now, let's continue and say that you're going to Costco to go do your shopping and you're being faithful and you're doing exactly what you called to do. You're, you're pushing your cart up and down the fruit and vegetable aisle only and, and you're keeping your head away from the frozen food sections and you're not even looking that way. But then you start to hear a bit of a commotion and you look over and you see that they have brought out a new sample and the new sample is the most delicious, decadent, amazing chocolate cake. And you look and you see that other people are taking it. And you hear them talking about how good it is. You hear them walking by saying, oh, this is the best cake that I've ever had. And you see person after person take it. And then you hear the person who works for Costco saying, and it's on sale. It's just right down this aisle. If you just go there, we have lots in stock. Just come and get one. And you, you're pushing your cart and you're trying to remain faithful to the call that God has on you. But then you enter into this internal monologue where you're starting to think to yourself, you know, they're just little samples. It's not like I'm going to buy a whole cake. I'm just, I, it's just, how many calories could there really be in that little paper cup? And I've been good. Look, my cart is just full of fruits and vegetables. Nothing processed, nothing, nothing frozen. It's all fresh and new and clean. How bad could one little piece of cake be? And everybody else is taking it. So it's not like I would be the only one. And it's even on sale. You know? And you're going through this internal battle. You're tempted. But you haven't sinned. It just means that there's something out there that could be a problem. And there's part of you that wants to take this thing and make it into a problem. 
even though you know it's a problem. There's party that wants to do this, even you know, even though you know it's not God's will and it's not what God wants for you and it's not the best for you. But inside of you, there's a war going on because it's free. It's delicious. But the presence of the cake is not sin. When we walk over to the table and we take the sample and we eat it and it is delicious and we love it and we are so glad that we did because, man, I forgot what chocolate cake tastes like. Then we've sinned. When we walk over and we take that cake and we partake of the cake, then we've sinned. Now, I use chocolate cake because it's pretty simple and easy. But, but for some of us in the room today, it's not chocolate cake. It's pornography. It's jealousy. For some, it's anger. For some, it's materialism. For some, it's alcohol. And for, for some, it's drugs. And the truth is, every single one of us has a piece of cake. Now, I mean that metaphorically. I didn't bring cake for everybody today. I didn't, I didn't want to betray my metaphor too, too much. But what is your piece of chocolate cake. What is it that you struggle with? And the reason why I ask you that is because God's promise in this verse and God's promise to us today is that we don't have to give in. Now, maybe you've tried and failed and 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 tried and failed. And over and over and over again, you've tried and failed and tried and failed and tried and failed and tried and failed. Your power won't work. Your willpower won't work. You can't do it. And the lie that the enemy can begin to share with you is it's just my thing, it's unique, it's in my family background. I'm just predisposed. There's this thing that happened in my past and it makes this thing happen in my life. I have no choice. I have no ability to get around it. It's just part of who I am. I, 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 I just have to do it. My dad liked chocolate cake and my dad's dad liked chocolate cake and my dad's 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 dad. All the way through the generations, we've all loved chocolate cake. And so what choice do I have other than to eat chocolate cake? But what this verse tells us is despite your family history, despite the things that you're predisposed to, despite who you are, despite how unique you may think this thing is to you, this verse tells us you don't have to lose the battle again. But this verse tells us that God will remain faithful through our temptations. And no matter if we failed and failed and failed and failed and failed and failed and failed, God will never give up on us. God will always give you a way out. That every time you come back to this place of temptation, it says that God is faithful to provide you with a way out. And faithful means consistent. It means dependable. It doesn't mean that eventually God grows tired of providing us with a way out. You see, God will never abandon you to your sin. But every time we're faced with temptation, Scripture says that God will be right there with a way out for you. But I want to ask you right now if you would bring to mind your piece of cake. Whatever your cake is. And my prayer for us right now is that God would in your life right now be peeling back the layers that have allowed this cake to take root in your life. The layers of denial. 
the lies of the enemy, the justifications and the reasons why we do it. And that God would cause us to see our chocolate cake for what it really is. Instead of all the excuses and denials and all the ways that we've been able to live in the middle of it. That right now God would be filling your heart with a hope and belief that God has and God will continue to give you a way out. You can change. Your relationship to this thing or with this thing can change. And as we come to the Lord with our chocolate cake this morning, as, as you are bringing to mind the thing it is that this chocolate cake represents, there's a promise that we can find in Scripture. In 1 John 1, 9, it says, If we confess our chocolate cake, if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just and will forgive us of our chocolate cake or forgive us of our sins. But it's not just forgiveness. It's not just that he just will simply forgive us. But the verse continues to say that he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, when we take our chocolate cake, when we take our gossip, when we start to drink, when we log onto the computer, when we do whatever we feel we need to do, and we are left with that feeling of guilt and shame because we know we've lost again, and here we are again, failed in a failure. God is saying to us then and to you now, I am faithful. I will help you. In your weakness, I will help you when you are tempted. When you're eating the chocolate cake hand over fist, you can come to me and say, Oh God, I can't stop with the cake and I know it's wrong. Would you please forgive me? And God will look at you and he will say, This is why my son died. And I want to forgive you. I want to wash you clean. I want to start you down a new path. I want to close our time together today with one last scripture about this amazing, wonderful, faithful God that takes messed up people like you and me and is faithful to us and faithful to change us from the inside out. And it's found in 2 Timothy chapter 2. And it says this, Here is a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. There's this parallel that's happening here that I'm sure you can see. If we died with him, and this is symbolic of, of our belief, our, our, our dying to ourselves and, and our baptism. And if, if we died with him, if we give up our lives, if we die to ourselves, if we die to our sinful nature, if we die to our past, if we die to him, this is the picture in baptism of, of being put under the water. But we don't simply die with him. The verse says if we die with him, we will also live with him. And this is why we raise people back up out of the water is because we have a new life that when we give up our old lives, the promise is that we will receive a new life. If we endure with him, even when times are tough, even if we're persecuted, in the end, we will discover that no matter how hard the journey is, no matter how difficult the journey may be, if we can continue to endure with God, then at the end we will get to spend eternity with him. Then at the end of all things, we will discover that we reign with him, that we spend eternity in his presence. Now, the next one is a little harder to totally get because it can make it sound like our salvation is very tenuous. 
But it says if we disown him, he will also disown us. But the connecting here isn't that if we walk away from God, then he will just walk away from us. That if we, we give up on him, he will give up on us. But if we disown him, if we deny him by our behavior and our actions, then he will allow us to move away from him, is what this verse is saying. When you're not walking with the Lord, you may not lose your salvation but you can lose the effects and the benefits of walking with the Lord. You may not lose your salvation, but you won't have the peace of the Lord that's in your life. You may not lose your salvation, but you won't have the blessings of the Lord on your life. The, the gifts of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, the things that come with walking in the Lord, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the faithfulness, the gentleness, and the self-control. We can lose those things in our lives because we're not in close relationship with the Lord. You, he, he will continue to call you back. But we cannot pretend that somehow living our lives apart from the Lord and choosing to walk away from him won't have consequences inside of our relationship with the Lord. But then there's the next verse. The next verse, and this is really the one I want to talk about. And th this is where the parallel breaks down. And we begin to see how God just simply isn't like us. Verse three or 13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. We see throughout the, the, these, these couple of verses, if we do that, this, then he will do that. If we do this, then he will do that. If we do this, then we will receive this. But here, it changes. It's not... If we are faithless, then God will be faithless to us. It's the opposite. Even in the face of our faithlessness, when our whole spiritual engine breaks down, and we've messed up again, and maybe we've walked away from God, or, or maybe we've ran away from God, and we think there's no hope, we're in a black hole, and our heart is so hard that we don't even care about this. In the middle of our most extreme faithlessness, are you ready for this? There is a God with his arms wide open, ready for you to come back to him, not with judgment in his eyes, but with an unending love. God remains faithful to us because the verse says, for he cannot disown himself. And what we need to understand is, is that God isn't faithful, but faithfulness is God. That to understand, it, it, we don't need to understand faithfulness to understand God. We need to understand God to understand faithfulness. Faithfulness is who he is. He cannot be who he's not. And so he will remain faithful because it's in his character to be faithful. It's his attribute. It is who he is. He will be faithful because he cannot be not himself. And actually, at the end of this, I, I have realized that I, I titled so many of these messages wrong. It shouldn't be that God is wise. It should be that God is wisdom. It shouldn't be that God is just. It should be that God is justice. It shouldn't be that God is holy. It should be that God is holiness. Because these characteristics don't define God. God defines these characteristics. And so for you today, as we've walked through this, we began our, our journey in all of this eight weeks ago by talking about how 
God will say, Scripture will say that if you seek me, you will find me. That you will find me when you look for me. And we talked about how over this season, my prayer for us is that we would encounter God. That we would seek him and that we would find him. And that we would, our, our views of ourselves and our world and our place in it and our relationship with the Lord, that they would be changed. And so this morning, as we draw this series to a close, I want to encourage you that whatever it is that you may have encountered with the Lord, that know that these characteristics don't just define God, but God is these characteristics. And so as you may wonder, will God remain faithful to me? Yes. Is God still good to me? Yes. Will God still love me? Yes. Is God still just? Yes. Is God still wise? Yes. As we've looked at all of these characteristics, they don't define God. God defines them because they are who he is. And God cannot be who he's not. And so I want to encourage you with that this morning, that as you've walked this walk and perhaps hopefully one of these characteristics or maybe all of them have stood out to you, know that this is who our God is. This is the God we serve. He will always be faithful to who he is. How can I say it as well when my voice can bear Thanks again for listening to one of the audio messages from Cornerstone Church Airdrie. I pray that you were blessed by what God had to say in this message. If you would like to connect further with Cornerstone Church, there are a couple places you can go. First is our website, cornerstonefoursquarechurch.com, and select the Airdrie campus. And some of the best ways to connect with us is through our social media channels. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash cornerstoneairdrie. Follow us on Twitter at csairdrie. And on Instagram at cornerstoneairdrie. If you'd like to connect with the pastoral team at Cornerstone, you can do that again through our website, cornerstonefoursquarechurch.com. Click on the Airdrie campus, then click on the About Us on the main menu, and then one last click on Our Campus Pastors. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and get new messages delivered directly to you. We are so thankful to be able to share the gospel message of Jesus Christ with our community in Airdrie and with you today. At Cornerstone Church Airdrie, we are a family not by blood, but a family that's been bought by blood. And that family includes you. We follow Jesus together as family we go. You not left me alone. Oh, the world has let me down. And all of my sorrow and pain, I will trade it for.
My God is still in control.